family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthe, your host. We look forward to two hours of improvisational conversation, cool jazz, and an intergalactic wrap-up with our favorite street philosopher. Joining me today, not one but two illustrious co-hosts. She is our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate and Saugatarian Socialite, Victoria Sullivan. He plays great music for us on Radio Woodstock on the weekends and joins us here for the Woodstock Roundtable, Ron Van Warmer. Among the topics we'll be discussing, my favorite line of John Lennon came from the song Revolution. And I think it's as relevant now as it was then during the turbulent 60s. He said... Rather insightfully, you say you want a revolution. I say you better free your mind instead. Tough to find some free minds in the age of Trump. But is the Donald the cause or the symptom? Is there something deeper going on? We will dig deep and explore. And the advantages of the digital screen. Ah, John Lennon would have been happy with that because if we use it correctly, it will free up our minds or cause us mass anxiety. We'll see which way we go. We'll have jazz from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, a wrap-up with our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin, a poem from Victoria Sullivan, and we are going to open up the infamous Woodstock Roundtable jukebox. I think you'll find it inspiring, maybe confusing. A laugh or two. Fasten your seatbelts. Join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Almost ran out of music again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very You're close. slowing down or it's speeding up. Right. One or the other. There's... Hey, Victoria, good morning. Good morning, Doug. Ron, good morning. We're just going to add a little extra on to that uh, opening so that we can give you a few more minutes. To, Don't do that. Don't encourage me. <laughs> yes, he'd be going on all morning. <laughs> Don't encourage me. It would be me. the first half hour of the show. <laughs> But if you listen carefully to ads, both on this station and others, because of the digital world we live in now, you can get more words in a 30 or 60 second commercial because after somebody reads the script, the engineer can slight, just mm-hmm. speed up, right? Oh, You're yeah. an engineer. I've can, done it. Can just speed up the voice so you can get a little more in without it sounding like, like that. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. But if you listen carefully, you'll notice that people are talking to you a little faster. Yeah. And if you hear the ends of some commercials, it's like, uh, this is, and you can't get it, and then they have all these disclaimers at the end that are so fast you can't actually hear them. Right. And they're the best part. <laughs> I, and if you your know, car I, blows up, we're not responsible. Exactly. Love those disclaimers for the prescription drugs, right? Oh, yeah. For, they always show, it's, it's brilliant and cynical at the same time. <laughs> 
it's usually like a nice bucolic family scene. Yeah, you know, some guy, you know, with his kid and his his dog and prancing the, through and the, the park. Wife. He's just having a ball. You know, he's now of course he's sick as a dog, but the prescription <laughs> drugs are enabling him to be a good dad, right? That's right. So there's you know they're extolling the virtues of this drug, and then at the end sped up. The fact that you know your anus might explode, uh-huh. you know you're gonna be, you know you could become a zombie. You know these little side effects. And, and finally, that they have to death. Announce. Yes, right. They <laughs> leave that one. In some instances, <laughs> death. Right. Actually, death. That's kind of hard to take the drug after that. It I seems know. to me. I disagree. <laughs> I think death is preferable to most of the symptoms that you can get from these things. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah, but that dad doesn't want to die. He's got those cute little kids running That's around with the true. dog. That's true. He's willing to have we'll the risk it. tremors, <laughs> the other side effects. And have his kidneys dry mouth. And, yeah, all those yeah. nice things. <laughs> dry but mouth. You know, and of course, this, this evening we have the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. I, I watch al- it. I almost forgot. Yeah, well, I do watch it. Um, there's very little sports. It's mostly ads and pageantry, et cetera. But I have to say there is an ad being played quite a lot these days on television that I my I it just makes my heart sing I think a lot of you will recognize this ad and listen I have no problem biting the hand that feeds me I do a radio <laughs> show here with you fine folks that's sponsored yeah uh, and yet I find most ads so reprehensible I literally turn the channel I, I will not sit there through them um, but there is an ad on right now that is so freaking good. Yeah. From for Expedia. Okay. And it's it's it, it, it's which I think is one of these um, internet uh, travel things apps that helps you find good hotels and right. good restaurants, things like that. And they're using to extol their services the fact that among the things you can find is a pet friendly hotel where you can bring your pet. And the ad has this African American woman kind of watching bemusingly her husband and her kids just trying to get through the day without screwing everything up and it ends up with her finally getting to relax in a bubble bath right okay and sitting next to the tub is this face of this dog with an expression that is priceless (laughs) staring at her i've seen that ad you've seen the end yeah i have the look on that dog's face and the look on her face and the bond they have is so, I don't want to say heartwarming because that's a Hallmark cliche. It just, it just creates, my whole body just vibrates mm-hmm. in a nice way. And it has, as its song in the background, a song I had forgotten. Um, it was a, a fairly decent hit back in 1961. Hmm. Uh, by a guy with a great voice, Clarence Frogman Henry. Great okay. blues guy. Uh, I don't know why I love you, but I do. And it's a good song on its own. But in this commercial, it's just so fabulous because you... I mean, there's a lot of ways to interpret the commercial. Uh, but the way I look at it is, it's truly extolling the virtue of a dog as a human being's best friend. <laughs> it's not that this this... Mother and wife doesn't love her family. She's kind of amusingly looking at them as they're kind of annoying her a little bit. But um, when she finally gets to relax and soak in the bubble bath, and she's on her smartphone, and she looks over at the dog who's looking at her, and they ju- the bond in that look 
between the two of them is just it just goes it goes mm. deep and you know there's so few ads and of course tomorrow in the media you'll hear a breakdown of which ads were good which i think is important because if you don't think that advertising is controlling the way we think i got a bridge to sell you <laughs> oh yeah absolutely Here's do you know the, the writer fran lebowitz hmm do you know the writer Fran yeah. Leibowitz? Very sardonic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was on Jimmy Fallon the other night talking about the Super Bowl, and she hates sports. Yeah, she's... I, she's, she's <laughs> and she hates football. And, and Fallon, who is like, I don't know, he's over the top for me now, you know, giggling and laughing and spitting in people's faces and things in a comic fashion. <laughs> and... <laughs> But he did He's seem a little. The Ed McMahon of he the he seemed show. a little befuddled by her when she was going on and on. And he said, "Well, well, don't you even like the Super Bowl parties?" And she said, "I never even knew there were Super Bowl parties <laughs> until recently, and I certainly wouldn't go to one." Well, wouldn't you like the food? No, I'm sure I wouldn't like the food. And she just went. We on count and on, on listen, like that. <laughs> comedians at their best are cynics. Yeah. Um, one of our patron saints, George Carlin who's older and wiser brother, joins us at the end of our show every week, was maybe the greatest cynic of the last 50 years. But cynics are not just negative. If you're just negative, you're not a cynic. You're just a, you, you're just a pain in the ass <laughs> and a dullard. But, but at, it, at, at its best, a, a comic is a cynic, a critic. They are the court jester. They're, 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 um, uh, they're showing that the emperor has no clothes. Right, and they're allowed to say things that we aren't allowed to say. Right. And, uh, Except in we, this age of political correctness, the yeah. part of the progressive left I can't stand, where they want to keep people off campus because they don't agree with them. Yeah. The whole point of great comedy is to break all boundaries. And the best comics, if you really watch, I'm not talking. Listen, I, I, there are comics I loved who were not controversial comics. They're just, you know, they're just funny. Okay? Uh-huh. Henny Youngman, right. people like that. But our favorite comics, if you watch them, there's always a moment where they push the envelope to the point where they know they're making their own audience uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. Um, Chris Rock was one of the best at that. I saw Robin Williams do that a couple of times where he was really going off the deep end. And it was scary and exciting watching yep. it. You were laughing, but it, but another part of you was feeling like stabbed in the chest. And that's the, that's the comedians at their best. A few years after 9-11, Joan Rivers made 9-11 jokes. Right. And was booed. Mm-hmm. Too soon. And she, and, she, and she would yell out, too soon? And, uh, you know, is it ever too soon? That's the question. And Joan Rivers, I'm glad you brought her up, and not just because your better half wrote for her for mm-hmm. so many years, but Joan Rivers was, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, you couldn't scare her. No. And, and she was indefatigable, and she was so courageous. She, she didn't care if she, you know, she knew she was funny, but she also was not afraid to push to the edges to make yeah. even her followers uncomfortable. That's what the best comedians and best cynics do. Richard Pryor was one of those. Richard but Pryor, I think it mm. makes them dangerous to themselves as well. Well, that's true of any artist. Who was the uh, comedian who uh, held up the head of Donald Trump and it, like it was cut off and she lost her job at CNN? with uh, Anderson Cooper on uh, New Year's. 
don't remember, but um, I can't remember her name. Right. But apparently that was too far, and she was just shunned for months and months, and and still doesn't get the jobs yeah. that she used to get. But you see, the advantage we have now is in, in the with all the crap that's going on. Um, even in the social revolution of the '60s, when a lot of rules were being broken. Um, the drug culture, psychedelics, do your own thing, the whole shtick. There was a lot of censorship, and there weren't as many media outlets to get the right. word out. So someone like Eleni Bruce literally was destroyed because yeah. he only had nightclubs and television and records. Right at his disposal, which was a lot more than 30 years before that, but not enough to save his career. No. Today, Eleni Bruce, they could sh they could kick him off mainstream you know, networks. They could even kick him off cable like they did CNN. Right. But he would have a podcast, yeah. and he'd have millions of followers today. Yeah. So as horrific as things are, the ones, one of the saving graces is much more extensive media connection where people can have a voice. Yeah. Uh, and that's no small feat. Uh, this connects with an article you sent to Victoria and I from The New Yorker on democracy, uh -huh. which we'll get to. But I, I wanted to do this to start us off because Trump is an easy target. He's a deserved target, and, it's, and as is Mitch McConnell. But I learned something. It's not something I didn't expect but I didn't know the specifics of it recently, thanks to a senator. And I don't expect to learn much from yeah. U.S. senators. But this Democratic senator from Rhode Island, who I was not familiar with, was being interviewed. His name is Sheldon Whitehouse. It's just a great last name. Perfect last name, <laughs> Whitehouse. He has, he has no uh, desire to be president of the United States, but he's, so he's got a perfect last name, right? <laughs> But he was commenting on this was right. This was a, a day or two before they were, they were going to vote on whether to have witnesses or not. And if you were listening to CNN and MSNBC and all the progressives' favorite media, they were saying, "Okay, we know the, the jury's rigged in a way, but there was at least a possibility, uh -huh. a real possibility, that enough Republicans would at least ask for witnesses." Yeah. Before they acquitted Trump. And White House came on during this time when the pundits were arguing, well, there's a chance. And White House basically said, this is a U.S. senator. They usually, like, don't want to tell you the whole truth. He v told us the whole truth. And he did it in an interesting way because he has a rather affable look to him. You know, some senators, you know, their chest is out, you know, and they... They have the American flag. You know, they've got all the symbols going. This guy reminded me of, like, your favorite uncle at, at holiday visit, family functions. Uh -huh. You know, the uncle that you always enjoyed because he was kind of fun and folksy. <laughs> always had a good story to tell. You know, didn't rain on your parade. Wasn't a cynical, uh, not a, a, just, a, just a, a bitchy old guy like most of our uh -huh. relatives. And... um He's talking, and he basically said, look, Republicans aren't going to give us witnesses, and I'm going to tell you why. Mitch McConnell knows how to count votes, mm -hmm. and he knows how to hold the votes. 
He has the votes. So yeah, he'll let Susan, he'll tell Susan Collins, you can vote for witnesses. And he'll tell Mitch Romney, you can also, because I already have enough votes. So therefore, since that will help Susan Collins get reelected in Maine, go ahead and do it. Right. Now, how did he know he had the votes? White House said, this is a senator. It's not a new story that money runs politics. Both parties, by the way, as we'll prove here in just a moment. Uh, I love kicking Democrats off their high horse as well, because uh, they're just as in the pockets of corporations as the Republicans are. Mm-hmm. But in the Republican case, you have, uh, according to White House, who knows, says you got about 10 to 12 really rich Republican donors. They donate hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Not just to presidential campaigns, but to local campaigns. And what they do is Mitch McConnell is their bag man, basically. <laughs> Great. Yeah. He they they send him the money, not him personally. It's it's right. done through legal means. It's called dark money for a reason. But White House was shining a light on it. This affable U.S. senator from Rhode <laughs> Island. He said, and Mitch knows how to par, you know parcel out that money. And he knows that the majority of his Republican colleagues, if they expect to get reelected every two years in the House or every six years in the Senate, they, they better not cross them or they don't get their money yeah. to run their campaigns. And why not? And White House is just going over. You can YouTube it. He's just detailing it in a nice little interview, you know, on one of the one of the cable channels. He was great. Because yeah. <laughs> he had this wry smile on it. He wasn't like, can you believe it? He was just like looking in the camera. And basically, the, the body language I was getting was, folks, this is how it works. I don't like it. I hope you don't like it. You better be aware of it, which is why I'm telling you. But, you know, don't get angry. This is the way it works. And it's not going to change because the senators and the congressmen don't want it to change. So even if it's wrong... They want to keep it because that's how they stay elected. Okay. So and the he, other thing in that same remarks that he was making was that uh, the Senate right now with Mitch McConnell, the, the bag man at its head, is literally passing no legislation. They, right. they got 250 bills from the House, none of which have they acted on, including things like re-upping the violence against women law which was running out and no we're not going to vote for and that they won't. And, even, and, yeah. and at the same time what are they putting their energy on getting conservative judges getting really that's conservative the, that's the judges real, on the bench right. that's their business mm-hmm. well no that's the one of the, that's one that's of the key what, businesses but that's the business they're pursuing they have two main business uh, they have keeping the donors happy and putting judges putting conservative judges in positions of power who are lifetime appointees mm-hmm Okay, so after Trump goes and eventually, as this happens in American politics, we'll get a progressive president. You're going to have hundreds and hundreds of art, not conservative, extreme right wing judges who are anti-abortion, anti-women, anti-minorities, anti-immigrants. And, and, and some of them, according to the article, incompetent. Yes, according sure. to the um, American Bar Association. Okay. Right. Unfit. Unfit. Right. <laughs> Unfit to serve as judges. But the other thing they're doing is, that, that that's pretty good, but the other thing they're doing is they're making personal money. 
The All tax right. cut that Trump put in primarily went to the richest 1%. But that happened. Now, here's my point. As horrible as that is, and as a lot of us would agree Trump deserves to be defeated later this year, mm-hmm. let's not let Democrats get on a high horse. Oh, they can't be as bad. Really? Okay. I've got a little some facts here for you about by the way you can't blame anything on one person life is much more complicated than that but if you had to point to somebody most responsible for donald trump being where he is it's not the republican dark money donors it's hillary clinton and the dns the democratic national committee who ran probably one of the worst campaigns ever okay some information about 2016 And by the way, this information doesn't come from some radical source. It comes from CNN. It comes from a lot of, you know, a lot of middle center type uh-huh. media. Okay. So Hillary Clinton is going to know she's going to be running in 2016, right? From April 2013 to March 2015, Hillary Clinton was paid more than $21 million for speeches to private concerns. One month before her formal announcement as a candidate, she was paid almost $2 million by Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and Deutsche Bank. Hmm. And you think they didn't want something from her? No, no. She was, it's not going to affect how she voted on no. this. Oh, her hubby, Bill, Uh was paid $6 million for at least 39 speeches to big banks, including Goldman Sachs. This adds up to the Clinton household getting some $7.7 million from big banks just prior to Hillary Clinton's announcement as candidate for president. It gets better or worse. Probably not a good idea. According to an mm. online list of Hillary Clinton's speeches from 2013 to 2015, she was also paid 225000 and upwards per speech by Verizon, Colbert Cravis Roberts, Boston Consulting Group, Accenture, General Electric, Xerox, Drug Chemical and Associated Technologies, the California Medical Association, Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, and the National Association of Chain Drug Stores, as well as many others. Good investment Check, for them. please. Yeah, well, please. I want that gig. And then this article goes on, which I couldn't agree with more. It is difficult to imagine a breach of ethics, no breach of ethics when a high-profile presumptive candidate for president is paid more than $20 million in less than two years for almost no work from corporate, healthcare, investment banks, and other concerns, literally months before running, for announcing her candidate for president. And we're worried that uh, Joe Biden's son got paid, uh, you know. A lot. Nothing close to that. No, but like, wasn't it like 83000 yeah. a month? Something yeah, like that. Doing virtually nothing. <laughs> so, 83000 a, a month is too. a big salary <laughs> for nothing. Okay. Yeah. So all I'm saying, I'm not saying... But you know, I mean, when it comes to judges, the reason I voted for Hillary holding my nose, 
and I argued with my sister, who now I agree with. My sister said, who's more to the left than even I am, uh, said she will not vote for Hillary. It doesn't care if it elects Trump. She's, she's not putting a vote for someone who takes all that. And I said, look, I, un- I understand what you're saying. I hate it. I have to vote for her for one reason, one reason only, the Supreme Court and judges, mm. which is a very practical thing to say. And maybe I'll end up voting Democratic this fall. But I'm not, I'm a registered independent. I'm not sure. I'm just sick and tired of the whole system. Well, I'm you know, sick and tired of the whole system. This, that system is no doubt corrupt, clearly. But when I, when I read some of those numbers of what the Clintons got and I started thinking about it in terms of millions of dollars, our country is so money dominated. Look at these athletes who make $10 million a year. Look at the, the record industry where, you know, little pop stars make millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. And then you've got these people that are fighting to get $15 an hour. And you see a country where our major so-called moral compass is actually money. We actually worship money in this country. And years ago, you used to have listings of the best films of the year. Now you have the top money makers mm-hmm. of the year. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the book industry. It, it's And when I was teaching, I realized that with my students. I mean, like, and these were like not the brightest lights, some of them in this little Catholic <laughs> college in New Jersey. And we'd be reading a story by Maupassant or something about some poor couple in France. And I would start talking to them about economics and how it affected one's behavior. And and they'd all go, well, I want to make a million dollars. Well, I want to make a few million dollars. And I'm looking at them thinking, you'll be lucky if you get out of here and make, you know, 42000 a year. Um, and but they just that th- nobody said I want to do something noble, or I want to cure cancer, or I want to fly to the moon. Everybody wanted money. Money, money, money. Give me money. There's a song by Cardi B. Give me money. Give me money. And that that's like a theme? Give me money? You know, what what is this world? And I think America's particularly bad. Because also when I taught, when I had students from foreign countries who'd had a lot of their education there, one, they knew more. And two, they were willing to talk about moral issues or ethical issues, and they had more respect for teachers because teachers don't get paid well. Well, we're taught. Therefore, we're trash and stupid. We're taught from a very young age that the pursuit of money is the right thing to do, and everybody is taught to believe that they can achieve it. Everybody has this belief that, and and the reason some some people who will never have that money still vote uh, for. Uh, uh, conservative values is because they believe that someday they could be that right. person with the You're million absolutely dollars. right. And my students thought that and I would just look at them. They also thought that they'd be in love with the same boyfriend forever. Right. And I didn't, you know, take away that illusion either. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like there's no other values put out there. Money is the measure of everything. If a wealthy man murders his wife, it gets all kinds of newspaper coverage. If a guy who lives in a tenement in the Bronx murders his wife, it doesn't even make the back police page. She has no value. So it's money <laughs> gives you value. Money yes. gives you value if you're a pedophile. Yes. Uh, you, then you're famous. You're a famous pedophile because you have a lot of money. I mean, it's very sick. Well, yeah. Okay. So, but then, okay. So what's, what the reason, this is why I go back to Lennon, you know, John's, you say you want a revolution, you better free your mind instead. 
before we get to that, though, you know, uh, Ron sent this article from The New Yorker. Uh, what's the title of it in case people want to read it? New Yorker is going to be doing a series on democracy. It's called The Last Time Democracy Almost Died. And that was the 1930s. Yeah. And um, not only was fascism uh, taking over Germany and Italy, there were elements of it here in the United States. We were going through a depression. Spain was going Spain. fascist. And FDR deserves heroic status. He deserves, most historians would rate him one of the three greatest presidents of all time, deservedly so, along with his very influential first lady, Eleanor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Couple things about that. Number one, he came from a rich patrician family. That's the way it works. Um, John Kennedy, who before he was assassinated, was going to start fighting for civil rights. Mm -hmm. He and his brother Bobby came from wealth. Yeah. It's ironic that to get a champ, a political champion who really wants to help the downtrodden, help people in need, and not just keep uh, grifting to the, to the elites, um, usually have to come from that wealthy class. Yeah, and and just see the forest for the trees, and 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 have an uh, just an ethical um, compass, um, but it goes deeper than that because you see, I'll ask the question: What made Roosevelt's message so powerful? His message, yeah, of uh, of of creating the New Deal. Partly the times, well, the, the I, desperation of the times. People were True. were were failing. But what was how Society how did he failing. do it? What was the mechanism? The government, big government, stepping in. How did he get? How did he get people to buy into it? And politicians to buy into it. You think he was, he was turning the system think, upside I was down? Say, do you think he was wheeling and dealing behind the scenes? Yeah, but that's sure. not the main reason. I'm doing it as a quiz for a reason because we forget. The answer is five. It's a five-letter word. M-O-N-E-Y? No. <laughs> Although money was important in the New Deal. Yeah. Five-letter word. And we're going to take a break, but I'll give you a little clue. <laughs> we're using it right now, and we'll be right back. Ah, This is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grant, your host, two co-hosts today. How lucky could we be? Ron Van Wormer. Hmm. Who's a weekend on-air warrior here at Radio Woodstock? He's controlling how the computer and joining our conversation. As is our Woodstock Roundtable poet laureate Victoria Sullivan. So yeah, the reason, I mean, FDR had a lot of skills, including courage. He was determined. He was smart. Uh, he knew how to twist arms and bust heads, which is part of being a successful politician. But he couldn't have done it. Without radio. Radio. 
Mm. And radio is still a relatively young medium. And his fireside chats were important because not only was he brilliantly working the political system, but by communicating so effectively over this new medium of radio, which got right into people's homes in a way no other medium had done before, it changed, it changed the content of radio. Suddenly around the country, you'd have local radio stations putting on uh, college professors uh-huh. and authors and in reporters talking about poverty, talking about new social programs, talking about the importance of redistributing wealth. In this article that uh, is in the New Yorker, they were talking about some of the radio programs that were on in the day, and a thousand people it would go and see these discussions and mm. these debates between uh, the the experts in the in the field, and that's huge. I mean, you how would you, you wouldn't get that today? Okay, but what we have today is something even greater. I mean, after radio came television, after television came the internet, which um, has literally. Um, encased every medium that came before it. So would Trump's tweets be the equivalent of FDR's fireside chats? Well, those tweets have an effect, but... <laughs> In a horrible fashion. Okay, <laughs> but it's, it's, Maybe that's what FDR would have used today but if the, he was... But the, the point... Is, okay, so now if we go to a principle of nature, which is for every, every cause, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If you just... Take a big picture of let's take a. I mean, you can do this with world polit- history, but American history. We have been bouncing back and forth throughout our young history between conservative and progressive politics, mm-hmm. and we never settle totally in the middle. It's a pendulum, and sometimes the pendulum is swinging slowly, and sometimes, like now, it's swinging rather quickly. We've talked about this. Who who actually thought in our lifetime we would have an African-American president yeah. with a Muslim name? Yeah. Um, and we also had George Bush II. <laughs> so we go, we, we tend, the, the pendulum goes back and forth. Um, in the 60s, you had truly progressive legislation being passed. You had, but it didn't happen because politicians suddenly woke up one night enlightened. They were reacting to what was going on in the streets and in right. the homes and in the, uh, the, the town halls of around the country. Politicians don't act until they are forced to or encouraged to. Right. That's our job. And that's why when John Lennon says, if you say you want a revolution, I say free your mind instead, because until enough Americans free up our minds to think better, and more effectively, we're not going to get political change. Um, and we're not going to think better. because Our educational system doesn't do a very good job of that. At all. <laughs> because who's, who, there's money behind the education. If you think public schools are, are not funded in part by private corporations, I got another bridge to sell you. I have a sister in the public school system. She knows how it operates. Um, who's, who's writing the textbooks? People in Texas, that's where almost yeah, all the textbooks are published. So the, the point is, that, but here's the thing about the Internet, and I understand the Internet's a two-way. We have people addicted to the digital screen. I get it. 
We have fake news. I get it. But we also have, just as radio was the liberator of the 1930s, if the United States isn't going to become just an entrenched corporatocracy, which is what it is. I have friends on the left who say, oh, we have a fascist government. No, we don't. Fascism means something. Fascism, which a word created by Mussolini, fascism is defined by a government that takes over corporations. Right. Which is what happened in Germany, Italy, in the 1930s. You see it going on a little bit now in Poland and Eastern Europe and other places. What we have in the United States is not right now, it's not a democracy. Corporatocracy. It's a corporatocracy, which is not the greatest word in the world. Yeah. It's a little unwieldy, but but it's government by corporation. Mm-hmm. And that's why I read the Hillary Clinton stuff. Right. Which I'll do very quickly again, so we don't forget. <laughs> Hillary Clinton literally in the two years leading up to what's going to be her announcement for president and the month before she was going to announce for president, she was taking millions of dollars to give one hour speeches. If they were that long Mm -hmm. to huge corporate banks and, and other uh, corporate and media corporations. You know, I think she got a little confused because there had started to be prior to that after a president went out of office as soon as he was out of office, Ooh, president, you said president, any president, any president okay. uh, Bush, uh, her husband, whomever, com- countries like Japan would pay them a half a million dollars to come give a speech. Right. And that was sort of like they all went into either selling their book big or going on those speaking gigs. But that was after they came out of the big office. She changed it by starting to do those big money speeches before. I mean, how much should you get? paid for a speech i think you know if you got 10 or twenty thousand dollars that would be a decent fee for a single one hour mm-hmm. speech but then i think uh ba- football players should maybe make a hundred thousand a year not but it's, 10 million it's what the corporation is willing to pay what is it worth to them so okay, they pay i just what want to first disagree to uh, i disagree i believe that if the system w- is fair and if people want to are that interested in football and you're a great football player you should be able to have every right to make 10 million a year just as a corporate executive does just as a corporate executive does but both of them i think are off because they're so far from anything that anyone else makes by the sweat of their body or the sweat of their mind that it's just a ludicrous it's like midas sitting around counting his gold dollars but my only point i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just saying whether hillary got twenty thousand or two hundred thousand from wall street and banks and healthcare and pharmaceutical companies wouldn't make a difference the point was she was going for the money and then when she was called upon it not a lot but media asked her about it she said oh yeah i i gave those talks but i was helping to change them and I'm not going to, they're not going to determine how well, I vote. But, but think it you back. believe it, that it is, for one second? It is a complicated thing if you thought about <clears throat> making legislation about it. Because uh, people who are going to run for office, they have to make money. I mean, that's why I do think there's a difference between 20000 and 200000 Uh you, you can't really be bought as easily for 20000 as for 200000 They're going to buy you no matter what. The whole point is, if we wanted to do it right, we would have public financing for elections the election you would not even be allowed to campaign except for three months before um 
we, uh, you know, Britain there's all sorts it. of, oh, and by the way, how about election day being a holiday so people don't have to take off from work and wait on a three hour line? Yeah. At least no, a weekend. Come on. This is, let's be honest. We still love living in this country, but it's not a democracy and it's a corporatocracy. It's not the same as a democracy. And the laws are really made to make it more difficult to vote than Correct. to vote. That's the point. Right. And the reason is that corpor- the corporations that buy the politicians don't want everybody voting. No, they don't. Absolutely not. So let's just wake up and free our minds instead. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm not saying Trump shouldn't be excoriated. He's a particular creepy guy. But he is not the problem. He is a symptom now, the money in the system, in this p- case, Elizabeth Warren is correct because she says it every time she's on the debate stage. And Bernie Sanders is not taking corporate money. I believe she is. That could be. We could double check that. I'm not saying she's a perfect woman. I'm just saying her message of reminding us. Of the candidates who have a shot, happy to be correct if I'm wrong, the only one who's not taking corporate money is Bernie. Um, but... And that's why the DNC is already setting up rules to make sure he doesn't get the nomination, just as they did in 2016, which is why people like my sister and now me get ticked off and, and aren't necessarily going to vote for the mm. Democrat. Sorry. I'm, en- enough. As you know, George Carlin said something interesting late in his life as our cynic in chief. He would go on these shows and literally say, I'm not, I don't vote. And when he said, how could you, how could you not vote? He said, because when we get these jerk off politicians, don't come to me. You can't, I don't want, I can't be blamed for it. I'm not going to be blamed for it. I, how can I criticize this system if I'm voting as part of it? And I understand what he was saying. I also understand the point that I may end up doing it with, because I can't stand all these horrible judges that these Republicans are putting in. But the fact is the whole system is, has become very corrupt. And I'm going to give our country a little credit. We're no different than any empire that went before us. This is really about human nature. This is not particular to the United States of America. Um, you know, uh, instead of corporations running the show, it used to be monarchies that ran the mm-hmm. show. Okay, it's a little better now because what's the improvement? Steve Jobs was a guy just busting his chops in a garage. All right? Uh, He didn't come from, you know, a billionaire family. So at least in America, one could say you have a chance, if you're smart enough and fortunate enough, to become a self-made billionaire, so then you can buy politicians. But (laughs) but, but that's so far and few between, and everybody believes they can be Steve Jobs. That's the story we're sold. And that's just... Uh, lunacy right it's sort of like when mark said religion is the opiate of the masses so now we have the opiate of the masses being the so-called american dream and yes Mm -hmm. yes and rather than rather than it's a fiction than than (laughs) having realistic goals in life which could make you happy you have unrealistic goals and you're never happy Mm -hmm. but you love to see those those trashy billionaires get dressed up and go to parties and you know See them on TV. Well, you live through them. them. You live the life you don't have through them. And this has been going on for quite a long time. Now, the other interesting thing that's going on is one of the reasons we have this nationalistic surge. And it's not just in the United States. No. 
Brexit in, in, in yeah. England, your home. Done deal. Um, you see it in uh, Germany where fascists and right wing are, are gaining strength. Poland, Romania, uh, Italy. Um, Japan has always been very nationalistic. Yep. Um, the uh, and I and to me, I if I want to look at the uh, the bright side, <sighs> I think the what's causing all of this nationalistic fury is the internet. Just as radio was one of the main reasons democracy was saved in the 30s. Read the article that mm-hmm. you sent us from the New Yorker. What's the title of it again? Oh, it's called. Uh, the last time democracy almost died. Okay, it was FDR using radio. Uh, there's a very good chance that since Nate and uh, uh, every every action has an equal and opposite reaction, the reaction to Trump and McConnell and Democratic candidates married to money mm-hmm. and the corporatocracy will need an FDR type leader. Probably somebody very wealthy mm-hmm. and connected who's determined to change the system as FDR was and will use now the Internet, which is even a more powerful way to connect with people. The difference now is it's not just the country. The Internet is a global medium. And if you haven't been paying attention, while they haven't been as successful as we'd like, you've had... You have literally tens of millions of people around the world taking to the streets, in many cases risking their lives and their livelihood mm-hmm. to protest against economies where they don't have decent jobs. They don't have even basic living standards. They don't have clean water and access to enough food. And so you've got millions in Hong Kong, millions in Iraq, millions uh, in Libya, li- li- millions in Venezuela, millions in Colombia, uh, Bolivia, Peru, France, uh-huh. where they're protesting the Macron's attempt to try to uh, limit their pension system. You got million, not here, but you've got in other countries millions of people taking to the streets, willing to clash with police, putting their lives and their livelihoods on the line. Millions and millions and millions. And part of the reason it ha- that the governments haven't been able to just extinguish it although they've done a pretty good job of s- slowing it down, is because of the Internet. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those places, too, if it comes to a revolution, they're not going to choose democracy. Well, let's look at where the... Um, every year they put out a... It's a bad word, but a happiness index, where people are uh-huh. most content. Right. And every year it comes out... Scandinavians... Socialist. Denmark. Democratic. Socialism. Socialist. Well, Denmark, Finland, uh, Norway, the Netherlands, Belgium, they, they come out on top. When FDR came up with Social Security, it was an extremely unpopular idea Correct. with the opposition. And today, I don't think there's a Republican that would like to abolish it. I mean, oh, not. No, no, not, they would love to abolish well, it. Well, they, they just know that it's but a the, third the people, right. the, the voters, aren't going to go for that. Oh, no, they put out little feelers all the time to see if pe- enough people are going to react. They would love to cut back right. Social Security and, and take the money. Privatize it. That's their big yeah, desire. Right. Because we're all such good investors. Right. We'd all make really good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no, no. They, oh, they would love to take away our Social Security, and they're trying to do it. 
But um, uh, the point is, just look at the just look at the facts. The most content people in the world <clears throat> uh, live in democratic socialist countries Who have where realistic... you can be an entrepreneur, a mm-hmm. successful entrepreneur, but you're going to you're going to pay more taxes well, back. In the 1950s, corporations were paying 80 percent tax rate. In the 1950s, the top individual well. tax rate was 90 percent right. under Dwight Eisenhower, and people were doing very <clears throat> well. Uh, IBM and Kodak <clears throat> and all <clears throat> of those huge corporations were being very successful. <clears throat> And still paying taxes. We've gotten greedier. Now they don't pay taxes. Right. We've just gotten so greedier. Ah, I have a huge amount of money, but I can't pay 1% more. Yeah. You know? Right. But this is human nature. The way, what, this wasn't true of the Roman Empire, of the French Empire, yeah. of the British Empire. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Of the Dutch Empire. Yes. All same thing. It's human nature. It's free your mind instead. How do you, you, you don't have a free mind. Listen. Money is not inherently evil. It's actually quite nice to have. Uh-huh. But if that's your obsession and you're willing to d- demand more and more and more when you couldn't spend it if you had the worst cocaine habit on the planet, something's wrong. When it becomes a philosophy of a society, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it has become no in the United States. there's no other values. I mean, when you think about when you listen to public discourse— there's, you know, that they, they keep saying things about this person doesn't have a moral compass, that person doesn't. I don't see a moral compass out there. And I don't ever hear people talking actually about honesty. They talk about lies. But they don't uh, well, talk I about do. honesty. Here's the deal. I think it's our fault if we're going to, if we expect CNN and MSNBC to be uh, anything other than a counterweight to Fox News and actually promote the kinds of things we're talking about, which is can we get off the, this money pulpit thing and stop worshiping it? It's a good thing to have, but can we distribute it a little more? Can we have a little mm. fairer playing field? You don't, If you think you're getting that from CNN and MSNBC, I got another bridge I want to sell you. Well, they're doing their programming to make money. That's what they're doing. And they, Fox was obviously making the most money, and they said, oh, what can we do? Let's just do what they do. And if you listen to uh, CNN and MSNBC carefully, you'll notice that most of their experts are not progressives. They're centrists and moderates. Uh-huh. Okay? And they are as much, they're as, they're as fearful of uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders as is Fox News. Sorry, folks. That's just the way it is. And, um, but here's where I disagree with you because of the Internet. God bless TED Talks. Go to TED Talks. You're going to hear very smart people giving very smart, insightful talks on ethics, on how to change the system. But the information is out there. It, it's more accessible good. than ever before. I, I agree. But who's listening to TED Talks? What is the audience? Pretty good. I bet it's not as good as the, the people that are uh, of course listening it isn't. to Taylor Swift. Of course it isn't. No. But that's never, that's never been true. And the fact is we, you don't need a majority to make the change. Well, that's it's absolutely true. It's always a very, it's a relatively small vocal group at the right time that comes in and changes the leverage. It's not a, it's, it doesn't start with the majority. Um, so all I'm saying is my only glimmer of optimism is this medium called the Internet. We're now connected. And if enough people, and you see, here's the other thing. There was a book written in the 1980s. 
Unfortunately, the author was very dull as a speaker and as a guest when I had her on. But she wrote a book called The Aquarian, Marilyn Ferguson, her book was so good I remember her mm. name, called I, The Aquarian Conspiracy. And, here, and it was not a very well-written book, but here's what was so brilliant about the book. She starts off by defining conspiracy. What do you think conspiracy actually means etymologically? It's very interesting. Hmm. Because we usually when we think of a conspiracy, we think of violence, whether whether we're for it or not. Usually a conspiracy has to do with secret. Joining secret, together, conspiring would, would be You're close. Joining. Now you're close. Mm-hmm. It has Together is, is one of the root words. Conspire is to breathe together. Mm. Uh-huh. Conspire, as in respire. As in respiration. respiration. Right. right. So conspire is like respiration. Okay. So what the, Marilyn Ferguson's point was that in the 1980s, there were all of these people. This was before the Internet. I know it's mm-hmm. hard to believe there was a time before the <laughs> Internet. She, her whole point of her book, and she, her book was filled with factual examples. It wasn't, theories are important, but this was more than theory. This, she, was, she was proving her point that literally millions of Americans were connecting on a progressive plane, but it was under the radar of the media. Hmm. That's why it was a conspiracy. There were these people breathing together, talking about it. Where was it happening? It was happening at water coolers and offices. Mm-hmm. It was happening in dinner conversations. It was happening in small publications. Um, people talking about progressive things, but it didn't. It hadn't reached the level of the media yet. Okay, the American Revolution. We've talked about this. We were taught the American Revolution. You want to know the, just study uh, uh, the founding fathers and the, and the generals who won the war. They were only in positions of power because of thousands upon thousands of conversations. Many of them animated, angry, and verbally violent taking place in taverns Mm -hmm. coffee houses street corners in colonial america underground pamphlets underground pamphlets etc that was the that was the aquarian conspiracy of that time and so we don't i'm convinced that because of the internet there is an aquarian conspiracy literally fomenting as we speak here it's not yet visible. But if you go in there and look at TED Talks and look at uh, publications that you'd never hear of here, Al Jazeera, Russia Today, the World Socialist Forum, uh, who have their prejudices, but they are giving a side of the news you don't get even in the New York Times or the New Yorker. The information's out there, number one. And number two, it's always a conspiracy that is generating the seeds of a cultural revolution. And that's why the book, The Aquarian Conspiracy, as dull as it was, was so important. I think that one of the issues here is that uh, baby boomers are still the largest voting block. No, though millennials, millennials are now the largest. But voting. they're not voting. That's <laughs> the point. The, the more baby boomers are voting than millennials are voting. Right. Yes. So... The change will come when that changes. And I don't blame millennials for not voting because a lot of them were screwed by 2008, which was a manipulated economic crash that got more money to the 1%. They're screwed by college debt. They're sick and tired of it. They're the large 
by the numbers, they're the largest voting bloc. That's all the more and reason they to vote and participate. If, I shouldn't say, if they get active enough, you will see things change rather quickly. Yes, that's the point. Because you know what? Over 50% of millennials do not believe in capitalism. And wouldn't it be nice if they Which voted? Which is why they like Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they voted, it, things could change. Okay, and eventually they will. But right now, I, I hope they do vote. But the fact is, they have a right to their cynicism because they know the, well, the, even the voting is rigged. Well, yes, it is. And, and the way to change that is incrementally and that is to vote voting is the final part the first part is to get on the street corner with your pamphlet or with your podcast um or with your tweets and really start to shake up the zeitgeist that's how it works it starts from the ground up it doesn't start from the top down yes i'm agreeing with you i hope they go to i hope they vote this if they support bernie sanders he can win not if he's not on. Not if he's not the Democratic nominee. But if they force it, well, they're going to have to get. They better start because the DNC is already exactly. setting up new rules changes to prevent him from getting the nomination. Yeah, yeah, and that's what needs to change. And they need to be involved with the DNC so that they can make those changes. Well, you don't get involved with the DNC. You're going to have to scare the hell out of them. <laughs> but um, at any rate, oh, we just killed an hour of their time, if nothing else. Um, so, um, uh, we'll take a break and then have to, we'll dive back into the subject, but we got, uh, we've got the Sultan of Sonic Soul here. That's always a treat. And he's wielding a saxophone. And to me, that is a weapon of mass construction. <laughs> and, um, uh, we're going to have a poet, a, a poem from our favorite poet, Victoria Sullivan. And then we're going to open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox and have a discussion about a counterweight to all this political crap and corporatocracy. Uh, and we'll offer that counterweight when we come back with another hour of the Woodstock Roundtable. You say you want a revolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. Tell me that it's evolution Well, you know We all want to change the world But when you talk about destruction Don't you know that you can count me 